0: Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for May 13th and we begin today in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Last time we heard about the impetuous sacrifice that Saul made because he grew impatient waiting for Samuel to arrive and we are quick to judge Saul and rightly he falls under judgment for this. Um, but. I am just personally convicted of how often I don't like to wait on the Lord. Um, So today we pick up with the Israelites being oppressed and uh, countered by the Philistines. One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped in the outskirts of Gibeah, around the pomegranate tree at Migrin. Among Saul's men was Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozez and Senha. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Giba. "'Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans,' Jonathan said to his armor-bearer. "'Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few.'" Do what you think is best, the armor-bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are, or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right up behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all and their bodies were scattered all about, all, all over about a half an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. Just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. Saul's lookouts in Gibeah of Benjamin saw a strange sight. The vast army of Philistines began to melt away in every direction. "'Call the roll and find out who's missing,' Saul ordered, and when they checked, they found that Jonathan and his armor-bearer were gone." Then Saul shouted to Ahijah, Bring the ephod here. For at that time Ahijah was wearing the ephod in front of the Israelites. But while Saul was talking to the priest, the confusion in the Philistine camp grew louder and louder. So Saul said to the priest, Never mind, let's get going. Then Saul and all his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was a terrible confusion everywhere, even the Hebrews who had previously gone over to the Philistine army revolted and joined in with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. Likewise, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle continued to rage even beyond beth Aven. Now the men of Israel were pressed to exhaustion that day because Saul had placed them under an oath, saying, Let a curse fall on anyone who eats before evening, before I have full revenge on my enemies. So no one ate anything all day, even though they had all found honeycomb on the ground in the forest. They didn't dare touch the honey, because they all feared the oath they had taken. Now God never required his people to take oaths, but once they were taken, he expected them to be followed. But Jonathan had not heard his father's command, and he dipped the end of his stick into a piece of honeycomb and ate the honey. After he had eaten it, he felt refreshed. But one of the men saw him and said, your father made the army take a strict oath that anyone who eats food today will be cursed. That is why everyone is weary and faint. My father has made trouble for us all, Jonathan exclaimed. A command like that only hurts us. See how refreshed I am now that I have eaten this little bit of honey. If the men had been allowed to eat freely from the food they had found among our enemies think how many more philistines we could have killed they chased and killed the philistines all day from Micmash to ijalon growing more and more faint that evening they rushed for the battle plunder and butchered the sheep goats cattle and calves and they ate them without even draining the blood someone reported to saul look the men are sinning against the lord by eating meat that still has blood in it that is very wrong saul said Find a large stone and roll it over here. Then go out among the troops and tell them, Bring the cattle, sheep, and goats here to me. Kill them here. Drain the blood before you eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with the blood still in it. So that night all the troops brought their animals and slaughtered them there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first of the altars he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, Let's chase the Philistines all night and plunder them until sunrise. Let's destroy every last one of them. His men replied, "'We'll do whatever you think is best.' But the priest said, "'Let's ask God first.' So Saul asked God, "'Should we go after the Philistines? "'Will you help us defeat them?' But God made no reply that day. Then Saul said to the leaders, "'Something's wrong. "'I want all my army commanders to come here. "'We must find out what sin was committed today. "'I vow by the name of the Lord who rescued Israel "'that the sinner will surely die, "'even if it is my own son, Jonathan.' but no one would tell him what the trouble was. Again, he vows. Then Saul said, Jonathan and I stand over. will stand over here and all of you stand over there. The people responded to Saul, whatever you think is best. Then Saul prayed, O oh Lord, God of Israel, please show us who is guilty and who is innocent. Then they cast sacred lots and Jonathan and Saul were chosen as the guilty ones and the people were declared innocent then saul said now cast lots again and choose between me and jonathan and jonathan was shown to be the guilty one tell me what you have done saul demanded of jonathan i tasted a little honey jonathan admitted it was only a little bit on the end of my stick does that deserve death yes jonathan saul said you must die may god strike me and even kill me if you do not die for this But the people broke in and said to Saul, Jonathan has won this great victory for Israel. Should he die? Far from it. As surely as the Lord lives, not one hair on his head will be touched for God helped him to do a great deed today. So the people rescued Jonathan and he was not put to death. Then Saul called back the army from chasing the Philistines and the Philistines returned home. Now when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction against Moab, Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he was victorious. He performed great deeds and conquered the Amalekites, saving, them, saving Israel from all those who had plundered them. Israel's sons included Jonathan, ish uh, and Melchishua. He also had two daughters, Merab, who was older, and Michael. Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. The commander of Saul's army was Abner, the son of Saul's uncle, Nair. Saul's father, Kish, and Abner's father, Nair, were both sons of Abiel. The Israelites fought constantly with the Philistines throughout Saul's lifetime, so whenever Saul observed a young man who was brave and strong, he drafted him into his army. John chapter seven, beginning in verse 31. And we're going to hear the return of Nicodemus, who we heard was a secret um, uh, believer in John chapter three, and he is now coming out of the shadows and boldly proclaiming Christ in this section. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him, Jesus. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, they and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. But Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little longer, then I will return to the one who sent me. You will search for me, but not find me, and you cannot go where I am going. The Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. Where is he planning to go? They asked. Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews in the other lands? maybe he will even teach the Greeks what does he mean when he says you will search for me and not find me and you cannot go where I am going on the last day the climax of the festival Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds anyone who is thirsty may come to me anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart when he said living water he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others said, But he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born so the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and the Pharisees demanded, "'Why didn't you bring him in?' "'We have never heard anyone speak like this,' the guards responded. "'Have you been led led astray too?' the Pharisees mocked. "'Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him?' This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He asked. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. Psalm 109, a psalm of David. O God, whom I praise, don't stand silent and aloof while the wicked slander me and tell lies about me. They surround me with hateful words and fight against me for no reason. I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations, even as I am praying for them. They repay evil for good and hatred for my love. They say, get an evil person to turn against him, send an accuser to bring him to trial. When his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. Count his prayers as sins. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. May creditors seize his entire estate and strangers take all that he has earned. Let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. May all his offspring die. May his family name be blotted out in a single generation. May the Lord never forget the sins of his fathers. May his mother's sins never be erased from the record. May the Lord always remember these sins and may his name disappear from human memory. For he refused all kindness to others. He persecuted the poor and needy and he hounded the brokenhearted to death. He loved to curse others, now you curse him. He never blessed others, now don't you bless him cursing is as natural to him as his clothing or the water he drinks or the rich food he eats now may his curses return and cling to him like clothing may they be tied around him like a belt may those curses become the Lord's punishment for my accusers who speak evil of me but deal well with me O sovereign Lord for the sake of your own reputation rescue me because you are so faithful and good For I am poor and needy and my heart is full of pain. I am fading like a shadow at dusk. I am brushed off like a locust. My knees are weak from fasting and I am skin and bones. I am a joke to people everywhere. When they see me, they shake their heads in scorn. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me because of your unfailing love. Let them see that this is your doing, that you yourself have done it, Lord. Then let them curse me if they like, but you will bless me. When they attack me, they will be disgraced, but I, your servant, will go right on rejoicing. May my accusers be clothed with disgrace, may their humiliation cover them like a cloak. But I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising him to everyone, for he stands beside the needy, ready to save them from those who condemn them. Proverbs fifteen five through seven. Only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. There is treasure in the house of the godly, but the earnings of the wicked bring trouble. The lips of the wise give good advice. The heart of a fool has none to give. And to end, we're back with Selwyn Hughes. And looking at... a verse from John 5, you refuse to come to me and have life. That's verse 40. So why do most Christians not pant after God in the way described by the psalmist? Because to pant after God means that we have to get in touch with the deep thirst which is at the center of our being and acknowledge our basic helplessness, a feeling which our fallen human nature deeply dislikes. Most of us instinctively draw back from dealing with this stubborn commitment to independence and pretend we are all right as we are. It is much easier to pretend we are thirsting after God than it is to face the challenge of giving up our commitment to independence. I am conscious that the challenge I am putting before you is one I want to deny in my own life. There is something in me that would like to think, and would like you to think, that I have a heart that pants after God but I know that if I stop short of identifying my independent strategies for finding life on my own and giving them up, I will never get in touch with the deep thirst for God that exists at the core of my being. What is the answer? I must ask God to search my heart, expose my self-centered motivations, and help me see just where it is that I stop short of panting after him. You see, the more deeply we sense our thirst, the more passionately we will pursue water. But we will never sense that thirst until we are willing to face the fact that we may be drinking more from our own self-constructed wells than from the wells of God. Father, we tremble as we recognize this terrible tendency within us to walk right past the fountain of living water and drink from wells of our own making, but help us to recognize it for what it really is, not a terrible tendency, but a terrible sin. Forgive us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Have a wonderful day.